Thank you. Thanks, Claire, for a really interesting talk. And we've had similar problems working with vets or working yeah. with owners, etc. Sometimes it's just time pressure on a lot yeah. of people, isn't it? Um, did you consider or have you done any qualitative work? So you had some ideas about why maybe they didn't fill them out, but have you gone and asked them? No. <laughs> we kind of figured that we'd already asked them too much. Um, no, that's really interesting. We could have done some an aspect we are going to do in our new PhD study is to kind of look at our non-responder information. So what type of people don't respond and then look at the kind of non-responder bias that we definitely have. Mm. Um, but one of the concepts we were quite interested in developing in the first instance was kind of sentinel practices that would always want to help in research because all of our initial steps to try and work out which practices would be compliant we thought might be a good sentinel of practices to help. But then when we saw our kind of what looks like study fatigue I don't think we can kind of ask practitioners to do too much. And I think, I think the key is when we collaborate, we have to try and take into perspective the kind of information we want as epidemiologists and researchers and also the amount of information that vets can actually give us. Because if we ask the vets too much, we'll get nothing. Mm. Um, but equally, the vets have to realise that they have to collaborate too. So if they want to be able to tell our horse owners how common laminitis is and what the risk factors are, then they have to go some way to provide us that data. Um, so I... I'm not answering your question at all, because no, we, well, I am, because no, we didn't. But I think it's important to realise that we need to kind of collaborate and both compromise so that we do get that data. And were those the original questions, were they generated by vets or were they from World, World Horse Welfare? The original questions, just as, as to what are the frequency and what are the risk yeah. factors, were from World Horse Welfare. Um, but the specific questions we asked were all the basis of our systematic reviews. Uh, just continuing on what was sort of being mentioned there about the, the lack of, you know, compli compliance from the veterinary practices, is this perhaps something that the Royal College should be focusing on? You know, we're talking about practice standard schemes, all of these kind of things. Surely this should be coming from the Royal College that if you are a collaborator in research, maybe you should get a little badge that allows you to sell your practice to these horse owners by saying, well, actually, we contribute it, we're contributing to this study on laminitis, we're doing this, and we're getting, we're a lot more engaged with current research than yeah. practice down the road. I think that's a really interesting idea, and certainly something that we considered halfway through the study when we realised we were slightly struggling to get our data was whether we could reward them by, for example, them getting free CPD or access mm -hmm. to CPD through the Royal College that might then incentivise them to take part. Because um, one of the main issues with this type of study is you've got a limited budget, so we get a limited amount of money to do our study with and we can't provide too many incentives to the practice because we can't afford to do that. Um, I think what's also important to consider though is, for example, the Vet Compass initiative, which the practices would be helping with research but not in such a timely way. So it probably comes back to this kind of compromise, like I was asking practices to do quite a lot of work um, and they could help in a much more unobtrusive way. but. So far, and the practice I work in at the moment, um, it is very difficult to do the Vet Compass initiative within our practice because we're not very good at using electronic patient records. So I still do need vets to fill in clinical signs and you do have to design these data collection tools prospectively to give you the data you want. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea and that sort of reward scheme might help people take part. One of the main, kind of, when I was first trying to discuss the study and try and come up with ideas, um, most practitioners said they would be willing to take part if they could be named on a paper. But I can't name all the vets in the 28 practices that want to be part of the study. Um, so I think it is important to try and talk to practice and see what sort of incentives might help them take part in research studies.
Yeah, I think it's a sad indictment that we're all in it for what we can get out of it rather than what the animals can yeah, get out of yeah. it. But that's, that's uh, the, yeah, that to be the way kind of, it's gone. Yeah, I was going to keep in my kind of collaborative picture. We've got to remember at the end of the day that the horse is the important thing. And especially in laminitis, there are lots of different research groups which don't work together. And we should because it doesn't matter if you get funding and you don't. It's the horse at the end of the day that's suffering and we need to work together to do that. And that, again, people are doing the same study because nobody's talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, that's great, Claire. Thank you. Really interesting, because I think we all need to know how to do this stuff better. Um, did you do anything, update the practices about how many cases you had, send them le- newsletters, etc. across the course? I'm sorry if you said this yeah. earlier, I might have missed it. Yeah, no, I was speaking so quickly because I had so many slides. Um, we did. We had a practice newsletter that went out every month. We didn't initially do that, but when we realised that we weren't getting a great response, we started to, to make them kind of compete against each other. So we anonymised the practice names, we gave them IDs, and they could see which practices were sending data back and which ones weren't. Um, and I, I did phone up practices and say, are you sure you've not seen any laminitis cases in two years? And they would be adamant that they hadn't. Um, so yeah, we did do a practice newsletter and we tried to make it a bit more of a competition because I do think that works really well. Yeah, so, so feedback as you're going as well as a good thing, isn't it? I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess just to pick up on the, the response about not putting them as authors, what's stopping us? <laughs> Well, there are strict requirements. Some journals only have six authors in the first place. Um, and technically, you, just, you would never get a paper published if you tried to have 28 different authors on it. Have you um, seen the science? There's a science publication that has how many thousand? Of yeah. all the people that sat at home and protein folded on a but game do you really and they recognised all of them? So, all so all technically, them? to be named as an author on a paper, you have to not only help with the data collection, but you have to help write the paper and come up with the ideas and formulate it. And even just having three PhD supervisors, that, the time frame to get that done was enormous. So, uh, yeah. yeah it just but did you communicate that back to the vets then, if you'll write the paper? <laughs> um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't even an option. <laughs> Thank you.